Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, established 2019. Direct from the North Wales coast, his verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer! Well, it's episode 30 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast, and this week we've got none other than Mr. Technical Barry Horowitz. Barry worked the wrestling territories back in the day, winning many titles, coming up against some of the best. But we also talk about his time as enhancement talent, Probably how he's most well known. Getting in the ring there with Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, you name it. He'd been in there with some of the top guys. And that is the true skill of enhancement talent. It's a skill in itself, putting these top guys over and making them look a million dollars. Mr Horowitz has just started off his own YouTube show, which is Technically Speaking with Barry Horowitz. That's a couple of episodes in now, so you should definitely check that out. He puts a little plug in there about this one, so you'll get to hear about that as well. So here we are, episode 30 with Mr. Technical Barry Horowitz. And give yourself a pat on the back. Enjoy. Right, a warm welcome to Mr. Technical Barry Horowitz for episode 30 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. How's it going, Barry? Great, Stu. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I love the UK and I love wrestling there. And I'm a big fan of uh, uh, the Royals and uh, Princess Diana, the late uh Rest in peace, Diana. Oh, that's a nice touch, Barry. I like that. Yep, I mean it. <laughs> how, how are things for you during lockdown? That's going to be my first question before we hit any wrestling talk. Sure. Um, I'm just uh, 
my family and I are, are fine in Florida. We're practicing uh, social distancing, and also uh, we're just going by the guidelines, and uh, we have no problem with it. It's it's easier to follow the rules than break the rules. And um, I have a home gym in my garage, and uh, I keep training and communicating only through phone, and like I said, keeping social distance, and uh, everything's working well. We're washing our hands real well, and just... Um, you know, covering our face and just, you know, following the rules. That's cool. How about you? Yeah, just the same. The missus has to keep telling me, Barry, wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I like, hear you. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a daily, it's a daily occurrence, this end of that. But, uh, yeah, that, that's just, like you say, it's just having the practices, isn't it, and following everything. But I think, obviously, seven, eight weeks in, I think we're finally all getting there with what we need to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, I'm going to hit up some wrestling stuff now, and I'd like to ask, when did you begin watching pro wrestling? I began watching pro wrestling probably when I was between 13 and 14. I can remember the match vividly that got me hooked. It was uh, Thunderbolt Patterson against Mr. Clean on Florida Championship Wrestling, hosted by the, the great late Gordon Soley. Which guys stood out for you when you were watching it when you were younger? Uh, my main mentors were Jack Briscoe, Mike Graham, Don Morocco, Bob Orton Jr., Les Thornton, Tony Charles, Scott McGee. Uh, there's a plethora of, of wrestlers I like, but that's, that's my, main, my main ones. Um, of course, the Malenko's, Bob Backlund. Did any like, styles of matches stick out for you? Well, mostly my matches, you know, is is I'm, I'm being biased, but I like technical matches, good, solid wrestling, you know, a little bit of entertainment, some high spots and whatnot, but good, solid, technical wrestling always prevails, especially if it's done with utmost professionalism, which I think I do. In fact, I know I do. How was your time at Florida State University? I'm just going to segue out of the wrestling a little bit. Sure, sure. Oh, it was great. I... uh Went there for sports nutrition and wrestled for a year. I didn't do very well in the, in the wrestling. I mean, you know, you transition from high school to college and then college, NCAA, and, and climb the ranks up into the, the best uh, trophy of them all, which is, you know, being an Olympic gold medalist, as Kurt Angle has captured that prize. And, um, you know, it's, it's, very, it's, uh, it's very difficult. So I didn't graduate FSU. I had a chance to turn pro, and it was either – stay there three or four more years and find funds or go broke and continue my sports nutrition uh, degree or a venture to my lifelong dream, professional wrestling, which I took the professional wrestling. I, I think it panned out pretty well. You know, I mean, there is some, you know, little complaints, but I'm not going to be greedy. So I'm grateful for I got to fulfill my lifelong childhood dream. When and where did you begin your wrestling training? My training I began in Tampa, Florida. Uh, the great Malenko and his sons. I've also was was tutored by um, Carl Gotch, mm. and um, I began there. And um, mostly it was a it's it was like three four nights a week in a mattress factory. In the summer it was about 104, and in, in the winter it was about 40 degrees. So three days a week of that, of three hours, I did that for a year and a half, plus a part-time job, plus training with the weights. 
So it consumed my life, which I wanted to, not in a consumption matter, a proper matter, not overwhelming. It's what I wanted. And you want something and you focus on it, you're hungry, you know, you keep on going and going, you'll get what you want. That's a, that's a cool answer for these young kids who are, who are going into training. Finish Barry. first. Sorry? Mm-hmm. Finish first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll take a lot. They'll take a lot from that answer. I tell you, even like the guys over here in the UK that I know who are who are starting out. So yeah, that was that was a good answer, man. How long was it until your wrestling debut, Barry? Well, I I had a choice. I didn't have to stay there as long as I wanted to, but I had time. And again, I'm not. I'm, I'm probably being biased, but I don't really care. The Great Malenko was the best, as far as what I see the product today, how they're trained. Uh, the highfalutin schools and centers and whatnot. That, that's nice. Uh, you know, you've got to change as the times go on. But there's still some old school dungeon type, you know, uh, referring to the Calgary days of the Hart Foundation and uh, Stu Hart and his whole family, all his sons, great wrestlers. It still prevails. It's still there. You know, it, it's like going to a gym or a health spa or anything. It doesn't matter as long as you put the effort in and have those tools and mechanics it could be it could be in a closet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's how I look at that. And the, the Malenko's, you know, the way he trained me for a year and a half, and I absorbed everything. And then, of course, watching a lot of film, traveling with people like Mike Rotundo, Steamboat Flair, Orton Jr., uh, Rufus R. Jones, Bugsy McGraw. I mean, all these people, I, again, a plethora of uh, great stars, slate and great, that just kept my mouth shut and listened. Um, I've noticed some of the guys today, I've noticed uh, the UK, the uh, Canadians, and also uh, Japanese wrestlers adapt better because they're more disciplined. The Americans, I mean, there's a handful. The rest are very cocky, no respect, and don't listen, and they expect to be world champion in three weeks when they've had a cup of coffee, in your case, a cup of tea, (laughs) in uh, wrestling business. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, I have heard... Yeah, they just, I suppose, like, like you're saying, it just goes back to respect, doesn't it? And respecting the guys. Exactly. Respecting yeah. the guys it, before them. You don't, you don't have to ask kids, but you should respect, and it's part of paying the dues. You know, like the old song, I'm a very, uh, I'm an avid country music fan, and I'm sure you've heard of the song by Garth Brooks, The Dance. And you, basically, if you listen to it, to make the dance, you got to pay your dues. If you go right to the dance, you know nothing. And I've seen people go right to the dance in this business and they don't become good workers and they come very disrespectful and uh, high on themselves. They're a legend in their own mind. Now, obviously, prior prior to being with WWF, you were at the independence, didn't you? Um, just could you tell us some of the companies you're working for just so the listeners can get a bit of background on you prior, sure. prior to WWF? Oh, I worked for Sunbelt Wrestling. I worked for... FCW, there are various independent groups have different names across the states, even in the in the in the UK and across the, the, the world. There's they're all different. Of course, WCW, NWA, uh, WWF. Uh, I, I really like loved wrestling in Austria for Otto Wants. I think that was the CWA. I'm not sure. I captured the uh, title there from Franz Schumann back in the day which was a, a great honor to wrestle him and a great honor probably in my top three promoters that I've actually really, really loved and loved working for. Uh, definitely Otto Wants is in my top three. 
I have the utmost respect for the gentleman. You went on to Championship Wrestling from Florida, but you were you were mm-hmm. you were wrestling under a different name at that time, weren't you? Yeah, I was uh, Stretcher Jack Hart, and uh, yeah, that was for Florida Championship Wrestling, also known as the NWA, and that was great because. You got to understand, I was watching this show when I was 13, 14, 15, and now I'm there. I'm in that studio. I'm in the iconic buildings, the Lakewood Civic Center, Tampa Bay Armory, Fort Hesterly Armory, uh, the Bayfront Center. And then I capture the Florida heavyweight title from homegrown Mike Graham. Are you kidding me? (laughs) This was unbelievable. In his hometown. Big, big achievement for you then, Barry. Mm Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. A lot of fans don't know that. But I think now that they the fans that with social networking, uh, they know more than you think. They're, they're, I, I basically, a good amount of them that I meet at the meet and greets are smart marks, and I mean that in utmost respect. It's actually a compliment. Uh, when I don't use smart and I just call you a mark, it's not a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I'm a smart mark by the end of this. You're, oh, definitely you're a smart mark. Of course, you contacted me. <laughs> you were managed by two great guys in the wrestling industry. Percy Pringle, who became Paul Bearer, obviously, latterly, and uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. How was, it, yes. how was it being managed by these two legends and being a heel? I want to I know what it's like oh. being a heel as well. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, wow. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, Percy Pringle, he was, he was pretty good. Uh, I, I got a little bit more credit to Sir Oliver Humperdinck uh, being around longer and his gimmick and so forth. As far as being a heel, uh, love it. Love being a wrestling heel. It's just, it's just, it's fun. It's exciting. It's uh, fresh. It's different. It's, um, it's my cup of tea. You joined the WWF in 1987 and began wearing suspenders and a vest with a handprint outline patting your back. How did you come up with that gimmick? Well, first of all, I actually started in the WWF for Vince Sr. in 81. Right. I stayed there two years, and I got booked for NWA Crockett Promotions, Mid-South. Not Mid-South. Um, sorry. Mid-South is Jared Promotions. Um, Crockett Promotions, and I stayed there for two years and got polished. I mean, I was wrestling six nights a week. Again, I told you all the different people, you know, Jay Youngblood, Rick Steamboat, the, all the Youngbloods, Mark Youngblood, traveling with a lot of people with a lot, a lot, a lot of knowledge. And then, of course, when you worked for Crockett, if you were first, second, third match, you had to stay to the end and watch all the matches. It's basically studying and doing homework. And if you're not talking to everybody and you're really concentrating, it really does help besides hands-on in the ring. So that's what I did and stayed there. And then I did go back to, um, I did go back to in 87 for Vince Jr. And I was there about two years and I got a, a severe neck injury that put me out for 11 months and tried to come back, but the, the roster was full. So I went with WCW. I was, that was going to be, and then I came, that, that? that was going to be my next question, but you've like, you said about your injury. Yeah. That it was, how, how tough was it being sidelined with your neck injury in 1990? Well, I was lucky. I was, you know, I was young and it was, um, I took care of it properly. So that's, that's with 11 months and, uh, rehabbed really well. And, uh, it worked out for me, uh, being younger and taking care of it. My first 
severe injury. I've had other injuries, but that's, that's probably my top injury. You went on to work for the Global Wrestling Federation, GWF. Mm-hmm. How, how, mm-hmm. Was, how was your time there, Barry? Oh, that was great. It was really good. Uh, another iconic building, the Dallas Sportatorium. Uh, I loved it there. And I finally, you know, uh, captured a different name, Barry, the winner Horowitz, captured the global uh, light heavyweight title from Jerry Lynn. Uh, excellent wrestler. Uh, excellent. You know, most athletes from Minnesota, nine and a half out of ten are fantastic. Uh, I forgot about Minnesota, too. They produce great athletes. The Road Warriors, Rick Rude, yeah. uh, Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, uh, Barry Darso, Demolition. List goes on and on. There's a there's a ton of talent in Minnesota. To this day, there isn't in football and athletics, NCAA, weightlifting. So um, that's how that went. Something in the water up in Minnesota, Barry. Yeah, something in the water or something in the beer or something <laughs> they're chewing tobacco when they're in the in the deer stands hunting deer. When I was researching about you, uh, you won you won the GWF light heavyweight title twice, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was cool. That was cool. Yeah, I just wanted yeah, to. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was it. I'll tell you a little secret of that ring that is in that in that building. Number one is probably one of the stiffest rings I worked in, besides a boxing ring, uh, which doesn't move. It's basically you're wrestling on cement with a sheet over it, and that ring is bolted into the floor. It does not move. They can't move that ring out of there. I mean, I'm sure if they took a you know, a demolition crew to get it out of there and had to move the building or knock it down. But as far as transferring that ring around, it does not move. <laughs> it's bolted into the cement. No way. Yeah. Crazy. A little secret there. Obviously, you were saying about matches with Jerry Lynn. Who else? What other guys were you facing? Oh, wow. Shoot. Uh, John Tatum, Rod Price, uh, the Patriot, the Dark Patriot, Eddie Gilbert. Um, wow, Sam Houston, um, the handsome stranger, a.k.a. Buff Bagwell, Marcus Bagwell. I never knew he... about that one? I never knew he had the, um, that gimmick yeah. prior. So yeah, I've le- researched that. I've, I've learned... That. You've taught me something there, Barry, which is what I like with these episodes. Yeah, and also... If you look at his ring jacket, I purchased that from him when he retired the Handsome Stranger. I had it redone by a seamstress, and the hand on the back was all my idea, and yeah. I actually drew that hand. That's my artwork, and I'm not an artist, but <laughs> that's the, yeah. But that was my design, that, that um, jacket. I, I tailored it into, into uh, Mr. Technical Barry Horowitz instead of Mark. Marcus Badwell, Buff Badwell. So there's another secret. That's you all my secrets. I love, I love this. I'm learning, learning so much stuff on this episode, man. It's great. It's great, man. It's that age-old question that we all ponder: Is wrestling fixed? This is Bill Apter, and my answer to that is: I didn't know it was broken. So many of you know me from my days back at the classic wrestling magazines and a lot of you from OneWrestling.com and OneWrestlingVideo.com. But I always get questions about various things I did through the years to propel my career to where it is today as the world's most recognizable journalist in pro wrestling. What was my relationship with the McMahons? 
Was I the guy who started that feud between the actor, comedian Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler? What is Ric Flair really like? Who are my favorites? Well, all this and more answered in my book that you can get online or at your favorite book dealer called Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. It's a great read, got great views, and hopefully you'll be picking it up soon too. So the answer to Is Wrestling Fixed? You know it now. I didn't know it was broken. This is Bill Apter, and I'll see you at the matches. Hey, what's up, guys? Richard Sorrentino here from the United States. Just wanted to give you guys a shout-out in the UK. GTG, good times guaranteed. Upon returning to WWF in 1991, you were an enhancement talent. How was your return to WWF? Oh, it was great. Great. Um, it was good. Everything was, uh, neck was better, uh, continued on. And everything was uh, going smooth. Just, you know, waiting for a break. And if I didn't get it, I didn't get it. I mean, you know, not everybody could be a superstar in this wrestling business. Even if you are, sometimes it's it's pushed to the side. Or I call it basically the politics of the business or whoever's in the booking committee or sometimes who you like and who you don't like. It's a shame that it has to be that way, but it is that way. That's a legit statement, by the way. That's being an enhancement talent. That's a skill in itself, isn't it? To put the other guy over. Put the other guy over. If you don't have proper enhancement, think about what I'm about to say. So you put out uh, some guy. He he walks in the ring. He's got the job face on, or whatever you want to call it. He's pouting because he's got to put the guy over. You know, his ring gear is from Walmart or whatever, some spandex. You know, he looks like uh, ten pounds of crap in a five-pound sock. And, you know, you know who's going to win or lose. (laughs) You know who's going to be the winner. And if he doesn't put over, especially somebody who can't work like the Ultimate Warrior or any of those other guys of that nature, they can't work. They're not going to put asses in the seats if you're going to push them as a champion or push them as a lead babyface or heel. So think about it. If you have somebody like me, I could make him look, I could make him look like chicken salad instead of chicken shit. So, and then, if you do that, you're doing your job. You have to have guys like that or you won't get over. But then, to enhance a match, even more so, you have somebody like Owen Hart, Bret Hart, of that nature. They're already good workers. They could work around a bad heel, say they're the babyface. But, if you have somebody like me, and I know my position, know my job, and I'm working with Owen Hart or Bret Hart or Bob Backlund or whatever, I... We're going to have a great match because we're, I know how to enhance it. I know when to dishance it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, this is really big that guys need to know. Instead of your gimmick, you can get that over, it's over, and whatever Vince says or whatever your boss says or whatever your promoter says, that's fine. Get the match over. That's what you need to do. That means him, me, and the referee, and, of course, the fans. Get the friggin' match over, not yourself. Just don't chop meat for 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's boring. Yeah. It's very boring. And it shows a sign of greenness. Which guys did you like enhancing? Who was a pleasure to work with in the WWF? Oh, wow. Well, of course, first and foremost, um, not in this particular order, maybe the first few guys, Owen Hart, of course, uh, Skip, a.k.a. Chris Candido, uh, Bret Hart, 
Brady Boone, Reno Riggins, Ben Jordan, Sam Houston. Uh, it was really a pleasure going out with these guys. They were all good athletes, and there was no pulling teeth, you know, like some guys I had to work with and actually really thought they were a superstar or really thought they were the world champion. So at the end of the day, they're not. <laughs> so I, I'm sure I've left out a bunch of people, and I don't mean to. It's not a disrespect thing. It's it's just um, there's a, a ton of different workers that I – Tim Horner, Brad Armstrong, in this order, Brad Armstrong, Scott Armstrong, Stevie Armstrong. I only worked with the dad, Bullet Armstrong, Bob, one time in an indie show in Alabama, and he was in – what a gentleman. I mean, the respect factors – through both of us, which he blows me away as far as a veteran, but he still respected me. I could feel it. It wasn't make-believe. And if it was, ah, give him an Oscar. It was a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> at, the, um, at the Survivor Series 1993, now it wasn't until later, later, later when I knew the identity of some of the Knights, you were the Red Knight on Shawn Michaels' yeah. team. And you fought Brett and obviously Brett Hart's brothers. Owen was there, wasn't he? Keith, Bruce. Yes. How, how, was, how was that match? Because as a kid, I, I, loved that, I loved that Survivor Series. And I loved that match. That match was awesome. I was in the main event. Now, remember now, this is Boston Gardens. Everybody has to show up under contract. I was not booked to wrestle. It was a last-minute thing. And I took the great Terry Funk's place. And the only reason he wasn't there, he told Vince his horse was sick. So he wasn't going to be in the main event. So they made me the Red Knight within an hour. Got the outfit, changed my style a little bit, was wrestling, and I was flattered. I'm in the main event. I mean, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the guy from Family Feud, Ray Combs, was the ring announcer. Yeah. This was big. Boston Gardens is an iconic building. It's up there with the Spectrum in Philly where they filmed Rocky. It's up there with Madison Square Garden. I mean, it, it's huge, and um, it was it was really cool being the main event, uh, and also it gave me about six four months as the Red Knight going on the road and traveling to different shows and whatnot. I'm glad I asked you that. Yeah. Really, really yeah, sure. I'm glad I've asked you that question. I'm going to fast forward to the summer of 1995, and probably how you were most remembered by the fans <laughs> when you broke your losing streak in WWF beating Body Donna Skip, a.k.a. Chris Candido, on an episode of The Action Zone. What was the experience like for you, Barry? Oh, very overwhelming. In my mind, I, I, I truly deserved it, not to be cocky, but I was finally, I said, all this weight was worth it, because I could have left there many times, and they wouldn't have did nothing, but at least they thought of something of me that, wow, this guy has potential. I mean, he, we've watched his matches for years. It's, it's his turn. My only regret about that, I wish it could have gone on a little bit longer, and I think they could. The powers to be, that was their decision. Maybe they didn't want to. Maybe they didn't like it. But I'm grateful for what I got because I got into many, many pay-per-views that whole year. And um, it was really, really cool. The, the TV atmosphere, the whole atmosphere, the fans, um, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, in-your-house matches. I mean, the list goes on and on of everything I, I did with that um, new babyface gimmick. You went, on, you went on to SummerSlam. You were still working a program with Chris Candido, weren't you, Skip? Um, a, match, a match I remember fondly. How was it having a winning streak in the WWF? Oh, it was great. It was fantastic. It was, I'm going, it's about time. <laughs> but I didn't take it for granted. I mean, 
you know, I just want, you know, I, I still, still trained. I did everything in that match and after that gimmick that, that I always do. I didn't let it get to my head or relinquish the hold, so to speak. I just kept on going, kept on going forward. Pedal to the metal. I, I liked your um, run with Hakushi, where you were trying yeah. to uh, Americanize him, obviously, because he was Japanese. Uh, yeah. What was it like Excellent working? Athlete. What was it like working that storyline with Hakushi, Barry? I loved it because I respected him because I, I love Japanese wrestlers. I wrestled for all Japan numerous times. Uh, they have the utmost respect. If, if, if all Americans got broken in Japan, <laughs> we'd have a better circuit. But that's another story. Hakushi's um, just utmost respectful, uh, good athlete, good worker, good everything. Uh, he's flawless in my eyes. I, I love the gimmick, the tattoos. That was really cool. I never seen anything like that. And uh, I think to this day, he still works in Japan. Um, I'm not positive, so... Uh, I don't know how old he is or anything, but uh, yeah, I do miss uh, being in downtown Tokyo, the Ginza area. I really loved it. I felt safe there. I ate well. It was really a nice gym. If there wasn't, you could make do. You could walk the streets and not worry about anything. They have the utmost for professional wrestlers, baseball players, and sumo wrestlers. And just everything's so clean there and, and way ahead of us and just so neat and just nice. It was really, you know, it was a pleasure. I'm guessing you would have gone to Ribera Steakhouse then. You know, I've never been there. I oh. was supposed to go and something happened. And, you know, I remember all the guys wearing the jackets back in the day. That was the big thing to do. And I've almost accomplished everything I've wanted to in the wrestling business. A couple of things have eluded me, but that was one of them. And then I find out it wasn't a big fancy place. I heard it was a hole in the wall. <laughs> uh, but still, I wanted to... I wanted to check it out, but who knows? You never know. My, my, my journey isn't over yet. You made your way to WCW in 1997. What was, the, mm -hmm. what was the difference between being there and being in WWF, if you could do some comparison? Oh, maybe? It was, yeah, just um, I worked less, and I made a lot, you know, I made decent money. Um, I didn't travel as much. The guys were really good. I knew some guys. From before and after and uh yeah just um it was um it was really good it was um it was different when you when you finished up with wrestling what was your what was your career after wrestling well i i did the independence for a while then i got sick of working for mark promoters that don't know what they're doing you know just because you got a full-time job and you run a weekend warrior little wrestling match on the weekend and you don't respect people, it's not good. Now, on the other hand, I work for some of these promoters that have good jobs. They run good shows, especially in the Northeast. i got to give a lot of props to the Northeast, the Boston, New Jersey, New York, Vermont, that whole New Jersey, that whole area. These guys are smart and respectful. What ruins it is, is some of these so-called superstars start pushing these guys around or mistake kindness for weakness. They demand Marriott hotels, first class. I mean, to, to, to some degree, yeah, if you're bringing in Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan, you could do that if you could afford it. They're going to bring you in a lot of money, Bret Hart. But just to do it, you know, just to do it, do a power play, I, I'm not into that, you know. Uh, I, don't, I don't agree with all that. So basically what I do is I, um, I'm a certified nutritionist, and also 
teaching wrestling is my next journey, is my forte, is what I want to be as an agent or a coach. I've been in this business over 30 years. I mean, I shouldn't have to prove myself. I shouldn't have to say, you know, because anybody that's been in wrestling the last umpteen years, even if they don't, some of these young guys study. I was in a car one time coming from um, StarCast in Baltimore six months ago with uh, Santana and Ortiz. Now, these guys are young. They're broken in in New York by the great Johnny Rods, which phenomenal wrestler. And I was, uh, they were talking about my footwork and putting me over, and they meant it. And they were very respectful, and I was very respectful with them, too. So it's really cool encountering stuff like that. But then again, skipping over my nutrition and teaching wrestling and wanting to coach, that's where I'm at now. And I'm also venturing into the last year of uh, meet and greets, like I said, up north. We do a lot of those. In fact, I was supposed to be at a bunch of them and WrestleCon in Tampa, but the virus, you know, altered everything for everybody. But, um, you know, I'm on ProWrestlingTees.com. I'm also on uh, Cameo.com. Uh, I've been on the Good Times Guaranteed um, live auction and also my Facebook. And my newest and greatest so far, we've only had one episode, is my new YouTube show, show Speaking Technical with Barry Horowitz. And it's really good. Uh, it's... It's produced, it's directed, and it's written by Barry and Josh Horowitz. There's no other parties, and we don't want any other parties. This is our project. We've had one episode, and we'll be doing like one episode, 20 to 30 minutes a week, about just different things, road stories, the real ins and outs of the wrestling business, uh, just a, a plethora of things we're going to talk about. I think the fans will find it interesting coming from Barry Horowitz instead of you know, your so-called suspects, you know, like Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Honky Tonk Man, the guys that are on that constantly. So, yeah, you're going to – and you're going to find a different side of Barry Horowitz, too. A lot of times, back in the day, you know, you go along with stuff, you're under contract, you do things. I'm at the age now where I don't need to follow those guidelines. I'll do what I want. I paid my dues, and I can back up what I say. I have just one, one last question, Barry. Um, yeah. Obviously, you were saying about guys in the business now. Do you watch much of the current product of wrestling? Do any guys stand out for you? Is there any guys that you think, yeah, they're money? Yeah, I, I do watch. I don't watch a lot. I'm, I'm busy or I'm spending time with the family or I'm watching shows like American Idol or The Voice or America's Got Talent from Britain. <laughs> Go on. Good. Nice plug. <laughs> yes. But I... um. If I'm flipping through the channels and I see a, which it's only once in a while, a good technical wrestling match on the WWE Network, um, I'm going to watch it. I'm not a fan of their broadcasting or uh, some of their gimmick, or some of their vignettes, or some of their storylines. Or I don't know. I'm, I'm again, I'm not in the booking committee, but I do know about the wrestling business, and I mean, I know they're the, they're the champs, but uh, I'm really intrigued. I like the Ring of Honor. Um, I don't care about impact at all. Um, I do like NWA. And the AEW has got my interest because if I watch that show for two hours, there's 120 minutes in two hours. I'm watching at least 119 minutes of pure wrestling. They have, they have, the, they have the star ability, I feel. They have a good storyline. Some of them get a little bit twisted, but they'll iron it out. The promos, 
the, the broadcasting and the play-by-play is off the charts. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 20. Jim Ross is phenomenal. Tony Schiavone. I, I don't know the masked wrestler Excalibur, but he's phenomenal. And they break it down. They cover mistakes. They're, they're pyro. They're vignettes. They're workers. Some are a bit around and some aren't. But, you know, people like Cody, Kenny Omega, uh, Darby Allen, uh, Lucha Brothers. I mean, I'm going to say almost everybody on that roster is phenomenal. Uh, they could change up some stuff of repetition. That's just my personal thing. Everybody's got, every wrestler's got a person. I, I knock myself on certain things. Uh, I just try, I strive for perfection. But, um, yeah, their show is phenomenal. And without an audience, by far the best. Uh, they really, they glam it up pretty good. It's more, it's interesting than other shows. Other shows you think you're in a mausoleum having a match. And you can hear the echoing, and it's just, it's not, I don't like it. I'm not into it. But, um, you know, um, I forgot about AJ Styles on the other end, and their spectrum, too. He's really a good worker. They have a good, you know, um, ricochet. They have some uh, really talented workers over there. But I think the AEW's just got a little bit more. I mean, it's just a tag team division. Wow. It's just crazy. I never seen anything. You know, you could have a tag team match, Stewie, and you know, just I've been in them before. It's not my forte, I admit it, but I don't strive for it. I'm a singles wrestler, and it doesn't gel properly like back in the day. You know, the Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Rockers, um, people like that. You know, uh, Minnesota Wrecking Crew, um, unbelievable. The talent they had, the Lucha Brothers. Uh, Ortiz and Santana and um, uh, the young, uh, the best friends. I mean, incredible. I know I'm leaving people out, but I can't, I can't remember every tag team they got there. I mean, just great. The young bucks are uh, yeah. way ahead of their time for young guys that do very innovative things. Impressive. Yeah. If they're, they haven't been around a year and if I was other organizations, I mean, never say never in the wrestling business, but they got something going more than anybody. I mean, this is the closest thing to WCW giving uh, WWE a rivalry. Actually, better. They don't have Eric Bischoff there or that that Mark uh, Vince Russo running the show, putting belts on uh, soap opera stars or what have you. So they got a clue. So I, 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 you know, I wish I could be a part of it. I'd love to be a coach there. Uh, I, I don't know if they're interested in me or not. Um, I don't know, but uh, that's uh, that's that's what I'm striving for is to be a coach. So, yeah, that's my uh, outlook on that question. How well do you get along with Richie Sorrentino and Good Times Guaranteed? Oh, excellent! Oh my God, we're 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 business partners. We're friends. Uh, he's a good promoter. He's uh, he's the pride of New York. Him and and uh, his uh, our other friends Jerry Sorrentino which is no relation, but he's a good guy. Lewis, uh, I know I'm leaving out. Of course, uh, Nick Christie. These are, these are good promoters. They, they know how to make money and draw people. They know what they're doing up there, I'm telling you. There's a market over here in the UK for you guys to come over still, you know. Barry Horowitz needs to come over yeah. to the UK. Well, I appreciate you throwing out my name there, if you don't mind it. They can go to my Facebook. And uh, they know, what, like I said, 
If you don't know of me, well, huh, sorry, you live under a rock or you need to watch some YouTube videos or what have you, and you'll catch up real quick on my or my Wikipedia or my uh, I'm on the WWE.com site also. So, you know, you're clueless if you don't know who I am, and I don't mean that in a ill matter. I'm just saying it like no. it is. If you don't mind, I just want to leave closing, if you don't mind, about my YouTube show yeah, and also the Pro Wrestling uh, ProWrestlingTees.com and my Cameo.com. Also, I'm on another, I didn't mention, and I'm going to get the name wrong. Uh, my partner, Richie, knows it better. I think it's uh, CelebVideo.com. Cool. Oh, uh, Celeb Video Messages. So that's where everyone can find you. Yeah, so you can find yeah. me on that, and uh, uh, I'm you know, up for meet and greets. And, and I what I do is I come to some towns, and I do a meet and greet, but then... Also, I'll run a seminar for an hour or two, uh, hands-on, in the ring with uh, young young talent. So I'm up all for all that. I just wanted to plug all that so people know and keep informed. And uh, I, I really, I heard there's a major big meet-and-greet show in the UK once a year. I hope to venture out to that sometime. I mean, if the Brooklyn Brawler could be on that darn thing last year... Gary Horowitz, Mr. Technical, should be on there, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. Right. Thank you very much, my guest, this evening, this afternoon over in Florida, Mr. Technical. Yep. Let's give ourselves a pat on the back. Barry Horowitz, oh, yeah. Mr. Technical, Barry Horowitz. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. Thank you, Stu. And, and always remember, Stewie, this is very important. There's a lot of great wrestlers out there in the world, but Barry Horowitz, Mr. Technical, wrestles great. This week's intro and outro for the show is the Zangwills, New Heights. You can check them out across all streaming platforms. You name it, they're on there, all their tracks. Give them a follow, give them a listen. Great band. A special thank you to Richie Sorrentino at Good Times Guaranteed, who also works with Barry Horowitz. Check out GCG, Good Times Guaranteed, for events, merchandise, you name it. It's all there. Cheers, Richie sorting this out this episode thank you big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro as always superb superb Chris Dutton thank you very much for editing once again appreciate it buddy and also to Lee who does my website Lee puts the stuff up on the website without you guys I'd be screwed so once again as always appreciate everything you do for me and the time you spend doing the things you do for me it means a lot guys Podcast Network.